Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. Welcome to the Alphalist podcast. I am your host, Toby, and my guest today is Luca Rossi. And Luca is the founder of Refactoring Club or Refactoring FM, a newsletter with over 50,000 subscribers, um, mostly addressing technical leaders and, and, and CTOs. About, uh, and it's a newsletter about writing good software and working well with humans. And you've written like many, many articles um, and they are like highly valuable. You even have like a paid subscription, you run a community, like you do many things, but beforehand you acted as CTO. And today I want to know like, why does a CTO turn a writer? <laughs> and um, like, I, I guess then like writing is somehow maybe your superpower and maybe you can give us more insights on, 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 on how you use it, how you stay productive yeah. and, 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 and why every CTO should maybe turn into a writer <laughs> every once in a while. Absolutely. You um, made a great point. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you so much Tobias for, for having me a uh, fan of this podcast. So I'm really happy to have this chat. And thank you for the kind uh, intro and definitely happy to talk more about refactoring, what I do, why a CTO should turn into a writer and maybe why all CTOs should be, you know, not full-time writers, but some kind of a writers uh, in the in the job too, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at Amazon, for example, there's this idea yes. of of uh, really writing essays about about stuff you want to do um yeah. does that did did that influence you yeah absolutely i think that uh the better you do your job probably uh, especially if you are in a leadership position uh the more you find yourself writing things uh for others to to understand to to consume and uh, the more you are, you get skilled uh, in that. The more you you get effective uh, at your job in a in a way. So it's, but it's not something that you that especially, I would say that you understand or that you are, at, at least for me it was not something I was thinking intentionally about. That is getting better at writing, but uh, it's something that I think in retrospect, in hindsight, uh, helped me. Uh, down the line, <laughs> becoming a full-time writer uh, as I as I am today. So you were influenced by firstly your CTO career, then got a better like became a better writer, and then ended up being a writer full-time. Um, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, my longest professional experience have been 
uh, as CTO and founder of a startup in a consumer startup in the travel space. We raised venture capital uh, here in Italy. Uh, we eventually sold the company to a larger player in, in the space. Uh, then I also got another job in the meantime, but I had already started writing this newsletter exactly inspired by my journey as a CTO because my job as a CTO was my very first job out of PhD. Uh, I didn't know how to do anything and it was especially hard for me to find uh, valuable and relevant material about not much, I would say, software development, but rather how to lead a team, how to grow a startup team. Uh, so I, I started writing the things that I would have loved to know and to learn when I was younger. Uh, so thinking about managers, CTOs, uh, and engineers in high growth startups, uh, who want to level up their teams. Uh, the newsletter started as a sidekick, uh, but it grew very fast to more than 10,000 subscribers during the first year. Uh, and so at the end of the first year, uh, I thought, okay, let's try to put my founder hat again uh, and let's try to do this full time. Because fortunately, I had already the example of other great newsletters who had made the leap thanks to Substack and thanks to the, the better and better tools that were available already at that time. And turned out to be good because fast forward today, as you said, more than 50,000 subscribers, 1,400 paid. So really happy so far. Okay. Um, one of my questions would be like, can you still stay ahead of the game um, in your tech skills if you're, you're mostly writing? That That's a great question. I, mm, this was one of my biggest concerns, honestly, when I started doing this all the time. Um, of course... Uh, I mean, I would be lying if uh, I said that I'm still as, you know, uh, sharp and on the, on the razor's edge uh, when it comes to tech jobs, for example, uh, as when I was a CTO of, uh, you know, tens of people. Um, so I don't get to lead, you know, complex software projects as I, as I did before. But I like to think that I compensate by having many conversations with other tech leaders telling their stories, telling real-world experience. Uh, and so if I've lost something uh, on a practical side, I I feel much more prepared on many other things. So I would say, you know, the, the, the balance uh, is... Uh, the, the upsides are more than the downsides so far. It's also, um, I mean, um, I don't do the the, the, the podcast as a, as a full-time gig and, and Office as a full-time gig, but... It's it's also like partly why I do it. Like having conversations with other uh, leaders and and learning from them and getting yeah. inspired is uh, 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 even more important than being the best. I don't know Ruby developer or something. <laughs> uh, absolutely, and I, I think uh, I realized this very late because when I was a CTO, I. Uh, I admit I didn't invest, I think, enough time in having good conversation with peers. Uh, I think it was not easy on one side because in Italy, the tech ecosystem is not very big, so it's not easy to, to get re these conversations reliably. But of course, I, I could have done more and better because I now see the gains. You know, if I was a CTO still and I, I was having these kind of conversations, there were so many things, so many takeaways that I could take literally and, and apply to, to my job. 
okay, maybe we step back a little. Um, I, I want to know from my like each of my guests, like how did they get into into the computing game? Uh, why did they turn into a nerd initially? Uh, can can you tell me? Of course. I mean, I, I had the computer from very early age. Uh, my father brought it home. Uh, I think I was like six or seven years old. Of course, I didn't start programming. I was mostly playing games. Uh, but I did start programming on my own when I was in high school, but I didn't even know it was programming. You know, I, I did a lot of things with computers back in the days, uh, you know, creating some small websites, uh, playing competitive games, programming some games, but I, I had no idea this could turn into a career, honestly. So uh, even I, um, when I was finishing high school, didn't know that computer science was even a thing, you know. <laughs> but then I, some friends of mine joined computer science and I, I followed them. And from there, I, I, I got in love with all the, uh, this whole space. And I'm still, uh, I still am. And after the university, I started a PhD in computer science and mostly databases. But then I, I quit. I dropped out after about one year because uh, I had founded also my startup with, with a couple of friends. Uh, so like in the stories, you know, uh, I, I'm a PhD dropout and, uh, and I started a startup as my very first job, literally. Okay, okay. Interesting, and 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 then you you founded like Wonder IO. It's it was called right. Yes, yes. And and brought it from zero to twenty five million customers, right? Yes, mostly in Italy. Quite a, quite a lot. Mostly yeah, it was quite a lot. Yeah, uh, we we uh, it was an incredible journey. We we loved every. Uh, I mean, I, I can say we loved every minute of it because, of course, it's been a roller coaster. There were highs and lows. Uh, but we are incre incredibly proud to have become so popular in our country, especially because our because Italy and our domestic market has always been the the, the vast majority of our customers. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the the app and the website let people compare and book multiple modes of transport. So, if you had to go from A to B, in a nutshell, instead of going to the you know flights websites like Skyscanner, trains, and buses on separate websites. You could do everything on a single website, Wonder.io, and book everything in one place. So that that was the core value proposition to save people time, basically. Okay. Um, so I I I could um, hear that like Italy most likely has similar problems to to Germany, where like the domestic market is big enough to kind of yeah. grow to a certain level and feed a team. Um, and, and, yeah. and many companies, I guess, in Italy also don't internationalize, um, but rather focus on domestic market. Is that correct? That, that is correct. And in our case, there was also, uh, I would say, another problem that the, the problem and the pain that we solved was especially perceived in Italy, as opposed, mm -hmm. for example, to the US. So when we spoke to US VCs, they told us, we don't really have this problem in the US. We don't. We basically don't have trains. For don't have many buses, so people don't have much choice when when it comes to getting mm. somewhere. Mm. Uh, so this is really a European problem. So we we launched it to Spain. Uh, I mean, there are counties that are similar to Italy, and we we inter internationalized a bit. Uh, but then, I mean, things we got acquired, so uh, we we are happy with how it ended anyway. Okay, okay. Yeah, in, in Italy, travel is also special because Italians mostly travel to Italy, right? Um, so, 
Yeah, yeah, they traveled inside Italy a lot. Yeah. And and there are so many ways to get in anywhere because the, the county has this weird shape. You know, we have many trains, many buses uh, to go everywhere. So it's really not trivial to figure out how to go from A to B in, in many, many cases. So uh, coming back to writing and the role of the CTO, um, uh, like wh what are your thoughts on the role of the CTO in the next years? Will it, will it, Say change in, in many aspects, or will it say the same? Uh, what what are, what are your thoughts about it? I think, uh, uh, for once, I mean, like all leadership and very very high level roles, uh, it uh, really depends on the, the the size, the scale, and the stage of your company and your product. So, of course, it's hard to you know to speak for every CTOs whether they are from big tech or, you know, small startups. But in general, I think we are in a time of such a big transformation with uh, AI and workflows kind of that can be, uh, can become really different for what they are today. There are many opportunities. So more, probably more now than ever, uh, it pays off to, uh, to stay on top of trends and figure out how to apply, uh, new ideas uh, and and workflows to to your team. I think one of the mistakes that I did as a CTO sometimes was staying too much in the trenches. And, you know, at some point you see the trees and you don't see the forest anymore. Uh, and it's really beneficial to, to step back uh, sometimes and not to overwhelm yourself uh, so that you stay sharp and uh, and understand what's the best way of doing something because it doesn't really matter to, to get that 10% better when you miss that 10x opportunity, you know? Absolutely. From my perspective, it's also much about understanding the 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 business needs um, and requirements yeah. and 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 not putting in too much time into um Uh, refactoring, <laughs> if yes. you don't need to, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> as an example, I, I mean, um, a CTO who starts at a company and the first thing he says is, yes, I want to rewrite everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. is, I need a full rewrite. It, 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 it <laughs> happens all the time, like most of the time, uh, I would say. Yes. But... It's not the best sign <laughs> from my perspective. At no, least. absolutely. And I think that also sometimes it's a sign of CTOs who are very, for example, specialized into something, into some technology, into some uh, way of doing things. And so when you have a hammer and everything looks like a nail, you know, you, you know how to do things all in a way. And, and you can apply this not just to technology, you know, you can apply this to managers who say, Uh, okay, we, we we don't have to do presentations anymore. We ha only have to do this or vice versa. You know, they try to apply very in, in a prescriptive way what what they're used to do, what they they uh, they want to do. While instead, I think, uh, especially with established products, it always pays off to take the best out of what you have. It, you know, like in, in football teams, you have to adapt to the players you have in the team rather than you know uh, force. Uh, things your way. I think it's often um, in the nature of human to to simplify things to to their under like space of understanding and and needs, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And and um, I also see like a slight trend uh, to CTOs becoming more like generalists and <laughs> yeah. 
CEOs yeah. maybe becoming more like specialists and uh, like CPOs maybe also entering the game and then like uh, like us ending in a mix with a slight yeah. slight specialization maybe at a certain point. Yes. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? I I think it's. Uh, as a CTO, you, you definitely have to be a generalist in, in, in some fashion because it's not like you have to master or you know all the pieces of your stock or the pieces of your of your product. But uh, it's really important that you know you know, enough to 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 know what's good, you know what good looks like, so that you can evaluate what what you're doing. You can. Uh, follow your people and evaluate how they're doing. You can hire with confidence. Uh, so that really doesn't mean you have to be the, the most proficient guy at writing some, you know, some code, uh, but you have to know what good looks like at, at the various parts of, uh, of your tech. That's what I think. So, I mean, if your CTO is not a generalist, who should be, you know, even in, in your team? That That's the... Uh, the big generalist role, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, there, the good old imposter syndrome enters the room. Like, when do you actually know enough? Uh, do you do you need to be an expert or just curious? I, I think you already answered, but <laughs> I, I think uh, you definitely not need to 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 be to be an expert, but you. It's a tricky question because I think you the, the part of your job that is more art, you know, that science is figuring out exactly how much you should know and how much it's okay that you don't know. Uh, that depends on how on so many things. You know, of course, uh, when your team is small, you're probably coding all the time anyway. And so, so you have to be more of an expert and and the the, the more core hardcore generalist nature of your role comes out when when your team is, is bigger so you have to figure out how much you can let go at any given time how much you can not know as opposed to what you should keep your, your hold on and and that's hard absolutely how how do you keep 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 yourself fed uh, with with stuff you wanna wanna know? Do you read books or like do you surf the web or do you just write your newsletter and then like <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden you you know enough or no? I mean uh, it's hard for me. It's hard for me too, especially because you know now I don't have. I mean, as long as you have a team and a product, it's not that hard to figure out what you should know. You know, but once you have a newsletter, when in theory, uh, it's not a technical job anymore. So it's not like you need to be technical. It's it's even harder to say I want to learn this. I I want to uh, know more about that. Uh, so I follow my curiosity. Uh, basically, I have my side projects and toy projects, trying some text, trying trying AI, what feels interesting to me. Uh, but of course, one one thing is to you know have your pet project where you try things for fun. Another thing is to try with with a full fledged team. So uh, I I wouldn't give myself a high score on that <laughs> anyway. Okay, and then do you have like a I don't know a huge block roll or something to keep keep yourself your, your brain fed with with trends or like how does it work for you? Yeah, I. Uh, 
I consume most of my content via I probably other newsletters and stuff that comes to my email. Uh, I have a complicated relationship with nonfiction books. Really, I, I usually don't like them. I feel they're very diluted, not the best medium to learn about, especially tech stuff. Uh, they're linear. They don't, I mean, they don't fit the way I learn typically. Uh, but I like newsletters. And one of the reasons why I started one is that I was a very big fan of newsletters. So yes, I try to uh, stay up to date with um, by subscribing to feeds of content that are the most relevant and the most interesting to me. Uh, and not just newsletters, I get digests, you know, of other outlets, digests of Hacker News, of Product Hunt, or of more techy uh, things. Uh, and I take a lot of notes. I mean, uh, I send everything to my, you know, note-taking pipeline and my notes are really the backbone then of my writing. Uh, because when I have enough notes and enough ideas to write about something, then I start writing an article that should go out in the newsletter. No, no tracking pipeline really sounds complicated as if you have like a, a Kafka stream you feed your stuff into. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really, I mean, I, I realized it felt complicated the moment that I said this and I, I, I thought, why I said no tracking <laughs> pipeline? Uh, but but it, it's really very simple. Uh, there is, uh, I use an app called Readwise, which is uh, very, very useful. It uh, works both as a read later app and then as a highlighting app that sends highlights to, to Notion in my case, but it can send highlights to any destination you like, basically, uh, so that I have my, let's say, repository of notes and highlights of content that I, that I liked. And, and I take that as an inspiration for, for writing new articles combined, of course, with my own pre-existing ideas and experience. And that you do in Notion. Yes, I do it in Notion, uh, and and then I I pass it on Substack when I, when it's time to publish. Okay, um, and how much how much time do you spend on writing? Uh, it's about half of my day when you combine uh, writing and research. So because sometimes you know it's uh, it's hard to separate the one from the other. Uh, it's usually the mornings. So the mornings are for writing where I am at the peak of my energy because writing is very, very cognitively intensive. I mean, I, I get completely burned out after some hours of writing. And so I schedule writing time uh, at the moment of the day where I'm the most productive, which for me is the morning. And I keep the afternoon for other, you know, misc work or product work let's say and on other parts of the newsletter or, or the community or uh, recording a podcast like like in this case uh, so the stuff that is not uh, writing and, and, and do you have like a, a fully structured day apart from that like do you have lots of meetings etc like is it just like creating and reading and No, it's pretty, it's pretty structured. It's pretty structured because the, the mornings are, uh, or they're organized in slots, uh, for, for writing and for research, uh, and so on. And also the afternoons have, uh, slots for stuff that I have to do on a recurring basis, like, uh, it can be planning the social media posts, uh, it can be, um, creating some, working on some of the community ceremonies for running uh, the community or for reviewing work that has to be done or for talking with sponsors, planning future interviews. So 
Uh, I try to, I'm a creature of habit and I try to create slots for, for pretty much everything that I want to do uh, on a regular basis. Mm. And how did you find your unique angle and voice? So what, what, what makes your take on a situation unique? That's a very hard question. And um, this is also something I was very concerned about. That is, uh, will I write about relevant things? Will I write about things that are interesting? And what value do I bring to the table when I write about something? Uh, but I think over time, you just figure out that if you speak uh, honestly from a place of, place of curiosity, Uh, and you stay open uh, to to ideas. Uh, you almost always have find an interesting angle, or you, you write things that are interesting to uh, to read. I mean, at, at the end of the uh, at the end, you have to trust your taste. You have to trust that when you believe that something is interesting, because you would be the first who would be interested to, to, to read about it, then there would be other people who will find it interesting as well. So it's not useful to ask yourself that question too hard. You don't have to be too hard on yourself, I think, on that. So essentially you measure your newsletter growth and that's <laughs> the biggest... <laughs> The biggest, uh, the biggest uh, evidence for you having having a voice, right? <laughs> I mean, in in a, in a you could say that, yeah, in a way, yes. But I also want to make sure that I keep writing things that I would that I would like to write my to read myself. Uh, which you might think it's the same thing, but it's not really because uh, I may end up, you know, writing about things uh, on, in a superficial way or in in a way that doesn't really get to the core of things and still find an audience. But if, I'm, if I was not doing something that I like myself, then I wouldn't be able to do this very well, I think. Mm, that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> makes sense. Um, When it comes to productivity, I mean, you seem to be like a bit of a productivity nerd. I, th I think you also published a lot on productivity. Do you do you do you have a framework, a system um, to, uh, to to kind of keep yourself productive? I, I think, yeah, like as a lone fighter, it's like kind of not always easy, right? Um, Absolutely. I, I think this was one of the biggest, you know, discoveries of uh, going solo like that. Uh, is that it's uh, it's way harder from some points of view to manage to stay productive and manage your own productivity because uh, something that many engineers tell you is that I, if I had not you know all these people around me <laughs> making me waste my time all these meetings and stuff I would be super productive if I was just by myself working on my projects etc. But it that's just one side of the coin you know because the other side is that when you're in a team. You, you have a train of things happening that carry you, even in the bad days, even when you are low energy. So you have to do things, you are accountable to other people. Uh, and so you, you do things even without thinking that much. But when you get up in the morning and you are only by yourself, and if you did not work that morning, nothing spectacularly bad happened, then it's there is like a hidden friction, additional friction to do to do anything 
you know. Uh, so it, I think it's not it's not an easy path, and you, you get to learn a lot about yourself. Uh, in my case, what works very well uh, is, as I told you, time boxing everything, and you know, and putting everything on my calendar, and then trusting my calendar pretty much blindly. And also working in, in small sessions. So I, I work in Pomodoros, like 30-minute sessions, followed by, by small, small pauses. And because otherwise, I, if I get too much into, into what I'm doing for too many hours, I mean, I, I get tunnel vision, my energy drops. Uh, I can't really work all day. So it's a combination of time boxing, uh, small sessions for, for recovery, uh, and then other things. I mean, prioritizing your work, of course, trying to match the, the importance and the, the, how hard is something you have to do with the times that you're, you're more rested, you have more energy. Uh, and so being smart about when you do things. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you, you you mentioned the thirty hour sessions. Like what 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 happens if you if you absolutely end up in this state of flow for for a, like bigger task, uh, and and you have your thirty minutes. Like, do you stay in your system? <laughs> do you force yourself to drop out? Or, I mean, I can uh, I can like forego the rule for like two sessions and like work to uh, one hour uh, consecutively. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes it may happen, but. What I found is that uh, if I if I work too much, too long without pauses, so on things where I am in a state of flow, then I I'm tricking myself. I mean, I think I am productive when I'm really not that much. I think the whole idea of the state of flow is a bit mm, flowed, or at least it's not like people think. Uh, because when you work you know, on, you hear people say, I have been working like two hours and a half on coding in a state of flow. I mean, at some point you're not, uh, I think you're not uh, effective. Uh, it's like when it happened to everybody, you know, when, when you're debugging something, you spend two hours uh, on a bug and then you, you leave work, you come the morning after and you fix it in five minutes. No, and, and because at some point you you don't have energy, but you do not realize that because you are too much into work. So I try to force myself to break, to take breaks. Yeah. And when when you use time boxing, like you use your calendar, and like in, someone who forces you to also stop, or like do do, do you have people around you, or do, do you just like feel you work <laughs> no. on your own, or? I mean, you see how hard it is. I mean, I don't yeah. have anyone around. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, whatever I want to do, you know, if I if I want to do sessions or I, I want to limit the amount of work I want something, I mean, it's, it's all about myself, also about my uh, discipline. And so th- that's the hard part. But yes, I use my calendar. Uh, I use it to do app. I use Todoist. And, and then I put the tasks uh, on Todoist on, on my calendar. I use an app for that. It's called Akiflow. It's very good. And which also surfaces things from Notion, from other sources. So the goal, the final goal is to have everything on your calendar, mm-hmm. really. The calendar is like the source of truth. And then you have to kind of trust it blindly, blindly saying, this is how much time I decided to spend on this. Maybe to it's better to stop working on that and switch into the other thing rather than having 
all the day, you know, sleep uh, because you uh, because I decided to work double the time on that. Mm-hmm. I use an app called Reclaim AI. I don't know if you know it. Um, it, it it also is a similar idea yeah, no, that you kind of yeah. fully trust the app and then it organizes your one-on-ones and uh, also pushes yeah. in your tasks. But yeah. I kind of, I don't know, I, I, I wasn't sure about me putting tasks in there. I still have in a separate mm-hmm. system and I, I'm sometimes like thinking about doing it, but I, my calendar is already <laughs> like wasted um, and, and I, I, yeah. I, I don't have enough time to, to actually do real tasks every once in a while, uh, but just have like too many meetings. Maybe that would change yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, um, I, I totally get it. I mean, about the first thing you said that you, you do not totally trust it to, to contain your tasks. W- what sold it to me, uh, what make the, made Archiflow work for me, for example, is that the source of truth of tasks stayed Todoist, which was what I was already using. And the app only surfaced the tasks from the other database let's say and put it on the calendar so that was what um made it work for me uh, but uh, when it comes instead to what you said that you have interruptions other things going on meetings that are impromptu etc i totally understand i mean i was not this disciplined when i was a cto mm. and i think it's good in principle and i, I think you should strive to uh, time box <laughs> things and put them in your calendar even if you have a jo- leadership job in a team etc but you also have to know that you have interruptions you have you have to stay responsive to people who need you uh, so you can't really you know uh, put yourself in a rut and just just do your thing it's not a, what your job is about but you can try to minimize uh, interruptions and uh, unforeseen things of course I, I sometimes struggle with the concept of having dedicated dates for for uh, and 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 recurring times for one on ones. Um, yeah, because for me, like I sometimes have the feeling, okay, it turns into it like a regular thing where you just do it without questioning mm. it, and that's always bad. Yeah. Like recurring meetings yes. are, from my perspective, really like harmful. And then having that yes. set every second week, let's say, and then yeah, it turns like can turn into a therapy session from my perspective. <laughs> yes. I don't know if that's yeah. that's that's actually good. I mean, one ones um, are of course incredibly important meetings, and you have this risk that since you you do this frequently, you do this weekly or every other week. Yeah, you turn um, things turn into just routine, and people. Both, you know, your airport and yourself and the the, the, the meeting, uh, you know, a bit of a mindless <laughs> wave. You, you you just follow the flow. Uh, but it, the thing is, of course, we should really strive to be instead very present, you know, ask questions if the conversation kind of stagnates, having some fallback points. I mean, I've learned from the best managers I had that uh, to do good one once you need to prepare which is something I did not do for many years. And I, I'm honest about that. Uh, you have to prepare, you have to, it, it's one of the things where you have to be high energy, which surprises some people who think, no, one once are kind of my relaxing time. Well, maybe it shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it's one of the hardest thing to, to, to pull off well, I think, as a manager. But it's also the realization, okay, I have too many one-on-ones. I have too many reports, maybe at a certain point, um, you're you're too floated with different things so that you can't really focus on the things anymore. 
Um, yeah. I think that's what many people are struggling with, right? Um, and not saying no. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think then it's uh, you do double damage because when you have too many rebels and one once, because on one side you have less time for your other things, of course. But then also the one ones themselves, maybe you have, uh, you know, the physical time to schedule them on the calendar, but then you don't have the time to follow up on the items that come up in conversation uh, because you have too many reports, too many of them. And so what happens is that over time, people just don't trust that you can solve their problems when they uh, bring them in conversation. And so they stop uh, bringing them up in the one-on-ones, one-on-ones become less and less useful. So it's a vicious cycle in a way. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you can really have too many reports. You have to make sure that you not only have the conversations, but can also, you also have the time to act uh, on those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, that, that, that leads me to um, uh, one, one question block uh, I have for you still like, <laughs> if if you if you would build a school for CTOs, um, what what would be the curriculum? Um, what 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 would, would that be? One one of one of the things you would teach, like uh, proper one on ones, or what 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 else would you would you from your conversations and and from your your writing time? What, this this is a great question. I think uh, one of the things that that is really useful for people to go through is uh, working in a company that grows and goes, grows through different growth stages. Headcount that grows, you know, when you are, you are a CTO in a team that starts small, you know, maybe all generalists or something, and then you grow and then you have to organize teams in a different way. Communication changes because it breaks the, the way it used to be. So leaving these changes is really what makes you understand the first principles behind why you should do things in a way or, or another. So in a school for CTO, I would probably role play, you know, many situations uh, of actual work uh, where you have to figure out how to make collaboration happen, uh, how to stay, some of the things we, we said before, staying the right amount of technical without being, you know, too much hands-on and uh, bottlenecking your, your team's growth, but also understanding what's, what's going on. Um, and then, of course, it pretty much depends on, on your product, on your company. Like all founders and all C-levels, you have to, it, your work pretty much changes based on the people around you. I mean, I, I've seen CTOs were a lot into product, for example, because the CEO was not a lot into product or there was not a strong product person around or vice versa. You know, CTOs who were a lot into marketing because maybe CEO, it's a big deal for that company, stuff like that. So you have to be open at becoming what your company and your product needs you to be, basically. Mm -hmm. And and jump into it, like take different roles at a certain point, uh, ideally, right? Yes. Yeah. And that changes all the time. Ex exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, one of the most useful things that I learned from an investor of mine is to think at your job as a founder specifically, but I think as a CTO, it works the same. Like a game where you have to replace yourself continuously. Uh, that is, you, you figure out how to do something well uh, figure out what good looks like and then uh, figure out how to not do that yourself, how to 
hire somebody to do that or make somebody in the team to do that mm-hmm. because it also forces you to structure how that thing should be done by others, mm-hmm. not just by yourself. Mm-hmm. So replacing yourself continuously. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, I also uh, went went through that learning journey. Um, <laughs> um, absolutely, absolutely right. Um, if you had like, apart from that, like three concrete tips that you could give, give, give to like hand over to our listeners from your conversations and, 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 and your, your, your recent writings, like what would it be like, can be proactivity, can be a tool, can be, can be something like just three things. Let me, let me think about this. Um, uh... I'll try to, to maybe to mention things from different areas, you know, to 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 make it more useful for more people. Uh, for example, one uh, one theme that always comes up in the email, in follow up questions and uh, conversations is how much data driven, how many metrics you should use in your engineering team. Uh, but because you mentioned productivity, so there is all this engineering productivity and developer angle, productivity. Yes, yes, <laughs> good topic. It's a, yes, big fight, you know. Yeah, and I think uh, people can start being data driven and more aware of what happens around them, just having good conversations with people. Uh, so make sure before you jump into you know whatever tool or trend you see that you know you have a grasp of how people are happy with things around them i mean are, are they happy about their ci cd or about how good reviews happen uh how i mean it's not that they should be happy but yet you know how happy they are for one to ten you know at this level of granulite i mean if you if you don't know this already because you speak with people then you don't have to you, you have to figure out that before <laughs> you you integrate it well. It's before not the you tool do Dora metrics. Yes. <laughs> yes. Before you you get into the Dora metrics, you know yeah. that that is something on top, something more that is helpful. But yeah. given that you have the basic figured but, out, well, so, but, but also if if you think about it, like really hard to integrate. And and recently I had um, AB Noda here on the podcast, like um, yeah, uh, the guy who who's who's building getdx.com, uh, and yeah. I, I found it really convincing. I mean, it's the same angle, right? Like talk to people, listen to people. Do a survey. People are skeptical out. because many say, but it's stupid to do a survey for the scene. No, it's not stupid. I mean, you, you can get this data very simply. I mean, it doesn't have to be quantitative in a way that is, you know, a, a number with digits. You know, it, you don't need that. You, you need the scale from one to five yeah. for most things yeah. just to understand. The, yeah. uh, but but I'm not, this is not to discount medics, of course. Medics are, are useful, very useful when used for good, you know, of course. Uh, but sometimes people jump, you know, the jump the trend and think that they're the, the one thing that solves their problems as opposed to, you know, just having good conversations again. Also, it's very appealing for technical leaders, right? Like you just plug into this tool into Git and then you get uh, a list it's of done. like, yeah, you, you know how productive your people are. But also like developer productivity is a bad term, right? Like for, for the people that are being spied, let's say, uh, yes. that might might feel not, not correct. Um, and, and that's yeah. why I like the approach with service better. Yeah, absolutely. And then 
of course you can build from there. You you can integrate these tools and um, these are very useful. I mean, I, I want to be, be clear on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're useful when you don't, I, I don't think you should see these numbers as, as things that are targets you have to achieve. You know, you know the, how they say that a good measure becomes a bad measure once you, you put a target on that, right? So when I think at the best uses that I've seen talking with people of engineering medics, they're always to start conversations, you know, to figure out why something is happening and to back, you know, some uh, talks that, that you want to have or to back initiatives. So you look at numbers and talk with people from a place of curiosity and figure out how, why we are getting, we are taking so much time to do code reviews. What, what is the bottleneck? How can I make it better for you? How, uh, why we are spending, I don't know, if you manage, if you measure your engineering investment, you know, between technical debt, new features. I mean, are we happy with that? Are we spending, do we feel we are spending too much time on technical debt and we can, uh, you pay that in for those things having these tools it's perfectly it backs conversations with stakeholders you know it's good to have something to point and say see we are spending 50 percent of our time on technical debt maybe you know we should be you should do something about that but you when as when you don't use them this for for this reason and, and you you set a target for things and you measure people performance with these things then people feel there you're tracking them, then uh, it's not the right use. Mm-hmm. Um, so we spend now lots of time on the first tip that you had. Yes. <laughs> what other two do you have? Uh, yes, <laughs> just I quick mean, ones. I, <laughs> yes, I, I, I agree. Uh, so another uh, another tip that I have, and, and this is inspired from a conversation with also Kaz Nejetian from Shopify, the CEO of Shopify, uh, is to think at, even if you're a manager, you should, it's, it's good to think at yourself as a maker, as a maker of not just, you know, not, not systems, technical systems anymore, but people systems. So you can still be a maker of, you know, good processes, uh, ways to simplify people's work, uh, so it's not like if you're a manager, you should spend all of your time in, in meetings. Okay, that's a sign that something is, is failing and you're a maker that should fix that. Your engineers should fix the, the code and you should fix uh, how people work. Uh, so that was a very interesting angle that I, I, I took it with me and uh, I tell it to people sometimes. <laughs> now the last one. <laughs> the, and the last one, uh, the last one should definitely be to to write more. And when I when I say write, I don't only mean write in your you know within your team or your company. I, I mean writing in public. Uh, doesn't have to be you know a weekly newsletter, something that is very high effort or whatever. Even if it's a small blog, even if you publish frequently. But writing things down on the internet uh, creates such a great flywheel for for everything. Uh, clears up your mind about your opinions uh, about many things. You get feedback. You get to know you know like-minded people uh, who think like like you on many things. 
writing online is really like networking for introverts. You don't have to reach out to people. It's <laughs> other people who reach out to you. It's, it's insane. So even when you think you don't have a lot to say, it's never true. Mm. You, it's just that your mind is not used to think that you can write your own ideas. But when you start thinking about ideas you can write and you do it this, you know, regularly, you will always find something to write and it would be great investment for your personal growth, for your career, for, for everything. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Luca. Um, uh, that, that brings me to my, my, my last and, and uh, popular outro question. Um, I, I have a little surprise. So from your very early days as a, as a, as a, As a, as a newsletter publisher, I, I, I was actually one of your first paid subscribers. And I, oh, wow. I actually... I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, um, I, I actually got a, got a tip from your newsletter, which is like a deep meditation technique that actually helps you to physically travel in time um, if, if, you, <laughs> if you focus enough. And... Um, I know that you're practicing it a lot. Um, and um, you're then like able to manipulate and optimize who you are today and make, uh, make the better version of yourself. And, and we now like both exactly. close our eyes, like please close your eyes. Um, and <laughs> we can now travel back in time when you were working at Wonder.io in 2012 and you just uh, like dropped out of university and uh, yeah. we're observing yourself for a while, like you're spending way too much time on solving technical problems, as we know. Um, yes. and, and you now have the chance to whisper something into long, young Lucas' ears. What would it be? Uh That's one of the, you know, those emotional questions also. I think one thing I would whisper uh, is probably, it will be okay. Uh, you, you, will be, you will be good at this uh, and you will go together with the team. It will be enough. What you will do will be enough. And this is something many founders I think need to hear. Uh, you can do this. Uh, it will be okay, whatever happens. Uh, and then I would probably tell him to always talk with people to, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, frameworks, one-on-ones stuff, but, uh, always nurturing the, the team as opposed to, you know, sometimes you put your headphones head, head down coding, which is just the most convenient and comfortable thing to, to do. Thanks a lot. <clears throat> Learned a lot today. Um, so like really different angle, uh, right? Uh, I, I know that I like ideally would also spend more time on writing. Um, uh, hope to see you soon, maybe in person in Italy or somewhere. Um, maybe we have the chance. Uh, was was lots of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tobias, for having me. It was a great chat. And for sure, if I ever come to Germany or if you come to Rome, happy to, to catch up. Have a great day. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AlphaList podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. 
Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. AlphaList is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or, as we say on AlphaList, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.